Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 7, verses 12 to 23. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Our text today is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. We're getting close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and you might expect the sermon to end with some encouragement. You might expect it to say something uplifting. Jesus might compliment his audience. He might point out their strengths, uh, and that's not what we find here, actually. What do we hear instead? Jesus says there's two ways, one that leads to destruction and the other that leads to life. And beware of wolves. And there's two trees, and the bad tree is cut down and burned. And Jesus Christ will judge evildoers. And this is surprising language. It's shocking language. But it's surprising to us partly because we forget what Jesus came to do. And we forget what kind of speech this is. It's not Sermon on the Mount is not a peacetime speech. It's a speech that's in the middle of conflict. It's like a wartime speech. It's the kind of speech that you hear in the great movies. Uh, I think about the movie Selma. Uh, this was depicting the civil rights movement in 1965 in Alabama, March 25th of that year, Martin Luther King Jr. has led a march from Selma to Montgomery to the state capitol. And there, on, on the steps of the capitol building, he delivers a speech. And he's nearing the end, and the crescendo is rising, the crowd's cheering, and he speaks the words of the battle hymn of the Republic. He raises his voice and says, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. And that is the Sermon on the Mount. That's the kind of speech it is. It's Martin Luther King in the 1960s. It's Winston Churchill during World War II in England. 
These are words in the midst of struggle. And that's gospel. It's good news. Jesus said, do not assume that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, how is that good news, you might ask? It's good news because God is enthroned in heaven and he looks down on the world. His eyes see everything, everything. And God sees a a good world that he made become corrupt by human beings. God sees all the oppressions done under the sun and he sees the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. The prophet Isaiah said it this way, the Lord saw it and it displeased him there was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the strong arm of the Lord. Come to earth. And he's come to pick a fight. He's a king who has come to campaign in his, in his world. God's anointed king, come to gather an army of followers, come to teach the truth and to cast out darkness. Join me, Jesus says. You Christian, stand up straight in this struggle. You on the sidelines, join this cause. Get behind the banner. His truth is marching on. Join me. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that Jesus' name is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God with you. Come to be near you, to be close to you. He is the strong arm of the Lord. Come to confront sin and your sin. He came to teach how to live and to teach you how to live. He came to bear sin upon the cross and your sin upon the cross. He came to lead you out of darkness into the light of his kingdom and his righteousness. And that is the big idea. Jesus Christ came to lead you into life, so follow him. And in this text, I want to suggest that we see three aspects of what it looks like to follow Christ. To follow Christ is focused, and it is hard. And third, it's discerning. So we'll start with the first. Christ came to lead you into life. So follow him with focus. And we're looking here at verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets, Jesus says. Now this is, of course, the golden rule. A lot of Jesus' teaching is unique uh, to him. But when it comes to the golden rule, it's often observed that this uh, a form of this appears in all the other world religions. And if you stepped inside a school in the past 10 years, you probably saw the poster. It's uh, a yellow and blue poster. It's got a globe in the middle. 
and around it on, on all sides are the symbols of different world religions. Uh, under each symbol, there's a, a version of uh, what Jesus says here. And someone might say that, it's, look, it's true Jesus says that, but the same idea comes up all over the place. He's not unique, really. He's on par with the other religious teachers of the world. And I agree. I, I agree it seems that way. But let's take a closer look. Let's compare them side by side. And when you walk up, walk up to the poster and read them closely, what do you see? Here's a few examples. Treat not others in ways that you would find hurtful. Do not do to others what you do not want done to yourself. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. Lay not on any soul a load that you would not wish to be laid upon you. And there's others like that. Jesus says, listen to this, do to others as you would have them do to you. And what's the difference? Did you hear it? The other teachings are negative. They say, do not do to others what you do not want done to yourself. And what's being taught in the negative, it's like this. If you don't want to be robbed, then don't rob others. If you don't want to be insulted, then don't insult other people. If you don't want someone to scratch your car, then don't scratch someone else's car. Now, you can obey the negative if you avoid sin. Avoiding sin becomes the focus. Now, that mindset is a mindset that Jesus has talked about in the Sermon on the Mount already. It's the mindset of the Pharisees. They focused on what you're not allowed to do. So if you don't kill somebody, then you've kept the law. If you don't get in bed with someone else's spouse, then you've kept the law. The Pharisees narrowed the commandments of the law in a way that made them easier to observe. But Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount and in all his teaching, Jesus is always broadening the the law as it's meant to be. It's meant to be abroad and searching law. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now consider, what do you really want from the people around you? I'd suggest what you don't want is for everyone to just avoid offending you. Of course you don't, you don't want to be offended. That's obvious. But Jesus knows what you really want. You want others to do you a good turn. You get discouraged and you want people to come around you and to spend time with you and affirm you and lift you up. And other people make commitments to you sometimes and you want them to keep those commitments. You want them to keep their word. And sometimes you make mistakes and you want people to correct you in a way that is humble 
and gentle. You want those things. Now, you live that way yourself. Act that way to the people around you. Christ came to lead you into life, and you walk in life as you focus on his commandments. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the summary statement of the whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is concluding. Remember, he's in summary mode and application to all that he has said. And what I'm saying is this, that you need Jesus Christ to teach you how to obey God. Among all the ethical teachers of the world religions and philosophies, Jesus is unique. So often he's put on par with the other teachers of the world religions, and they sound similar, they do. But Jesus knows the desires of your heart better than any other ethical teacher. He knows that you're made for community, and he spoke in a way to send you in to embrace that community and to act. Don't withdraw. Don't just avoid sin. That's too low a bar. He sends you to act, to take action. And he calls you to a higher standard and a deeper ethic than any other ethical teacher. So focus on him. Focus on his teaching. Second, Christ came to lead you into life, so follow him in the hard way. It's a hard way to follow Christ. But before we talk about that, we need to wrestle with a number of the assumptions that Jesus makes in what he says here. Up to now, we've been talking about Jesus' ethics. But here, you run smack into Jesus' theology. Based on the word of God, the scriptures, Jesus holds three claims as true. One, there is a God. Two, there is a judgment day. Three, there is, therefore, a differentiated afterlife. Life and destruction. Of course, our culture doesn't share these views. Our culture would say, instead, there is probably a God, and this God does not judge anybody, and all ways of life are equally valid pathways to God. There is no differentiated afterlife. There are many roads that all lead to the same direction. That's implied by the Golden Rule poster in the schools. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying there are not many roads going to the same destination. There are two roads going to opposite destinations. And now you say how judgmental, how narrow. The counter-argument says that world religions are like many different people around uh, an elephant, for example, and they... Uh, and, and these people who are touching the elephant, they're wearing blindfolds. And one of them is touching the elephant leg and says that God is, God is thick and hard. Another has got hold of the, 
the large ear and says that, that God, is, God is light and thin. Another is touching the tusk and says God is long and smooth. And you see that all are gathered around the same thing. They're speaking the same truth. But a question that I want to ask is, why do you think that you alone have sight and all others are blindfolded? Why do secular, progressive Western people think they alone see clearly and everyone else is blind? You claim that all different religions are different paths to one mountaintop. Consider this. You're basing that on faith assumptions. And even faith assumptions that are based on little evidence and even go against the evidence. Many people reach that conclusion based on little more evidence than the golden rule poster and they have not looked carefully at the Golden Rule poster to compare Jesus' teaching with the other teachings that are on it. Look closely at the evidence. Look closely at Jesus' teaching alongside the others, and you will find that Jesus is teaching a narrow way. It's a hard way. I wonder if you've ever tried to learn another language in adult life. Um, growing up, you heard one language all the time, and without really trying, you, you picked it up. You learned to speak it. But then you get into the high school French class, or you sign up for the language class, or you immigrate to Canada, and what, and what you find is a hard thing different pronunciation and hundreds and thousands of vocabulary words and verb conjugations and spelling of words that changes for gender and number. You get a headache at the end of each day and each class because your brain is working so hard to make these connections. Now, the way to life, following Christ, is like that. It's a hard way. The other option is the easy way. The, verse 13 says, The gate is wide, the way is easy, that leads to destruction. You don't have to try hard to follow the broad way. There is a wide gate into that way. You do not need to leave behind your sin. You don't need to leave behind your self-righteousness and your pride. You can bring it all with you. It's a wide road. There's room for many different worldviews, many different opinions and views. But the hard way, the way following Christ takes effort. It's the kind of effort that it takes to learn a new language. To follow Christ, to sit under his teaching is hard teaching to learn. He will challenge you. If you don't feel challenged, then you're not listening to him, actually. 
He tells you to leave behind your sin. He tells you to forsake your selfish ambition and greed and die to your self-will and pick up a cross and follow him. And it is a hard way. But the good news is that you're not alone. You look around you in, in the culture, there may be only few following this way, but you're, you're not alone on this way. In the Shakespeare play, Henry V, the English king, looks on the battlefield of Agincourt before it begins. They're outnumbered by five to one. And he says to his soldiers, a famous speech of St. Crispin's Day, and he says these words at the end. He says, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And that is the word of Christ to you. That's what Jesus is saying here to you, that you men and women, all of you who follow him on the straight and narrow way, he's your brother. As you die to yourself, as you forsake sin, as you engage in costly discipleship, as you shed your blood, it is with him who shed his blood, your brother, Christ. Third, Christ came to lead you into life, so follow him with discernment. And the first word in this is beware of false prophets, because Jesus knows that his people are going to have teachers. And teachers are valuable. They're very important. They they help guide his people on the straight and narrow path. But this is not peacetime. And the kingdom of Christ is under constant attack. And one of the most effective attacks is the subtle attack. It's the false teacher, the false prophet. Jesus says that false prophets come in sheep's clothing. They're hard to spot. They look gentle and tender, but they're wolves. That means they're deadly. They're dangerous. Now, they're hard to recognize, but there are signs. There are ways to recognize them. And in the Old Testament, the false prophet characteristically, uh, typically denies that God is a God of judgment. God is only love and mercy, they say. The prophet Jeremiah said this, the false prophets fill you with vain hopes. To everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. God is not going to judge your sin, they said. It shall be well with you, they said. And then Babylon descended on Israel in judgment, God's judgment, just as Jeremiah said would happen. So what does this look like today? At Grace Toronto, we are not in the habit of naming and criticizing Christian leaders and authors, and I think that's a good thing. But I feel the need at this point to illustrate uh, this point in order to be clear. What this looks like today, for example, is a Bible teacher named Rob Bell. 
He planted Mars Hill Church in Michigan, and it quickly became one of the fastest-growing churches in the United States. And he wrote a book titled Love Wins, which became a bestseller. And the gospel of Love Wins is the inclusion gospel. Now, of course, inclusion is a good thing. God's kingdom includes people. It includes all kinds of people, all ethnicities. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, God desires all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. But what you see in this book, Love Wins, is Rob Bell takes that and he stresses it and pushes it and interprets the whole Bible through it in such a way that he teaches you it is, it is possible, it's even likely, that those who die rejecting Christ may be saved and are saved through Christ nonetheless. And there are not two ways and two destinations. There is no gate that leads to destruction. Whether you follow Christ or not, all ways lead to life is the message of this book. And in the introduction of the book, he says that he's, he's not writing anything other than what's been said before, uh, what's been said before him, and that is true. It's been taught by many voices, that same position, that same theology. It goes back to the Enlightenment hundreds of years ago, Europe in the 1700s. A theologian named Richard Niebuhr summarized uh, that theology in this way. It's a God without wrath who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of a Christ without a cross. And Jesus says, you must discern the false prophet. Be warned. There are many false prophets, and they deceive many, lead many people astray. And you see that in verse 21 of this text. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, this is what false teaching leads to. This is the bad fruit. It leads people to call Jesus Lord. They say, Lord, Lord, they're enthusiastic, they're emotional, they They're even sincere, and they do all kinds of ministry and prophecy, cast out demons, they do mighty works, but they're deceived because they had teachers who taught them that you can follow Christ without denying yourself. You can be a disciple without carrying a cross. You can follow Jesus in a way that's easy, not hard. Jesus says to them, at the end, he says, I don't know you. I never knew you. We're not used to hearing Jesus speak that way. It's a terrible word. But do you see what he's doing? You Christian, he is warning you. He warns you because he loves you. This is how God keeps his people on the straight and narrow path. One hand is his promises. 
you might fall off the path into despair. His promises push you on. He says, I am with you. I am for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. The other hand is his warnings. Because here's another danger. You might fall off the path in in, in entitlement and and self-satisfaction, self-confidence, and discipleship with no cost. And the warning is meant to lead you to cry out to God, Father, my repentance is half-hearted. I struggle to obey your will. I stumble and fail. But I know your son came for me. He died for me. Receive me in his grace. Be my teacher. Teach me how to do your will. Remember the first words of the sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the broken. And Jesus is calling you to discern your heart. Let his warning shake your complacency. Let his warning soften your heart and humble you so that you be real with God. This is the kind of God that you follow is the God who breaks the proud heart and he binds it up with his grace. And as you follow Christ all the way to life with his promises, with his warnings, together pushing you along the way, you follow Christ with your eyes on him and with your legs strengthened by him and with your mind sharpened in discernment, This is how you follow him all the way along the straight and narrow path into life. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I ask that as we listen to this text, as we listen to Jesus Christ, I pray that no one who truly believes in you from the heart and has surrendered their will to you. I pray that no one will be discouraged or downcast or filled with terror. I pray that we may follow you and be strengthened and have our minds sharpened. And I pray, Father, that also that any who are not right with you, who are deceived, I pray they will have the foundations of their heart revealed and they come to their senses and they discern false discipleship and repent and turn to you and live. We thank you for speaking to us, O God, these words of truth that are given for our good. We pray this and thank you in Christ's name.